Well, good evening. It's good to see you all. If you would open your books to uh, your Bibles to Luke 15, that's where we'll be today. Luke 15, chapter 15. Thank you for all your prayers uh, today for Allie and our sick kids. Uh, I found out when I got home uh, that Fawn wasn't so sick. Allie, Allie told me that she's not sick. You're taking her with you tonight. So <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things, I guess, when you see your siblings not feeling so hot. Uh, you obviously don't feel so well either. But uh, I just want to thank you again for those prayers. Uh, recently, and recently, I mean, we just moved in last Friday. We've been remodeling our home. Uh, the Lord has truly blessed us. And we've been in, we're uh, put in a position where we were able to finish all the remodeling that I've been doing for the last six years. And uh, now everything looks the same. The floors are the same. The, the wall color is the same. There's texture on all the walls, all that exciting stuff. Um, and something that we were doing, we weren't living at our home. Thankfully, we had the, the Ames offered a place to us while we were, while we were uh, remodeling our home. But one of the things that we did was that we spent a lot of time, I have a shop in the back of my property, and we spent a lot of time in the, at the shop as a family, something that we did. And we would do little projects for the house to get it prepared so that the family was working together and we were building our house together, so to speak. And it wasn't that long, uh, uh, just actually a couple weeks ago, as we were finishing up, we're all out there, we're in the shop, the it's nice weather, so all the doors are up, the, the music's blaring, we're enjoying our time together, and then Allie looks at me and goes, where's Birdie? I'm like, who knows, it's Birdie. She's probably beating up some kid somewhere, you know, some little boy, I don't know. Uh, I'm joking, but... Uh, we couldn't figure out where she was at, so we started looking around, and two acres doesn't seem like such a big place until you've lost a little child. And the back of my property, we back up to about 23 acres our neighbor has, and I'd never thought about that being a dangerous place until I didn't have my child. And all of a sudden, those cute coyotes and bobcats I were, I, I'd been seeing didn't seem so cute and cuddly, and that big hawk that we like to watch swoop down and pick up cats didn't didn't seem so exciting with the idea that it might be able to pick up my child and we're we're going around we're yelling her name we're shouting and we cannot find her and Allie and I we have this split second of being terrified uh, our reality right there in that moment is one of our children is missing and we cannot find her we didn't see anybody pull in the driveway we didn't see anybody pull out um, but, you know, it seems like when these things happen, it, they just happen in a split second. And we were terrified. She jumped out from behind the lawnmower and went, boo! And we were all like, ah, you, 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 you know. So, but there was that little moment where it went through me, and I just had, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like my whole insides just fell. And I, I, I just didn't know what to do. My child was lost. And it's made me think about, uh, especially with the question of the lost sheep, it make, makes me think about how God feels when one of his people are lost. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We have a heavenly father who loves and he cares for us in the same manner that I just described to you in the way that I love my children. We have a God who is concerned about where his people are at, and where they belong. 
and we're going to be looking at that this afternoon or this evening, technically, through the parable of the lost sheep. And so uh, we're going to begin by adding some context to this. So we really have to start in Luke chapter 14. Jesus has been invited to a dinner on the Sabbath day by a ruler of the Pharisees in chapter 14. And during this interaction, he heals a man with dropsy, which is a swelling under the skin uh, uh, due to fluid built up in the body's tissues. I didn't put any pictures up there because they're nasty. So, uh, but it's a serious, it's a serious condition. And uh, during, this, during this interaction, Jesus asks the rulers if it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And, and the rulers are silent. And then Jesus tells those who are invited to this dinner a parable concerning being humble when they are choosing their places to sit at the table. And then Jesus directs his teaching back to the ruler who invited him and tells him the parable of the great banquet and how those those who the man invited did not choose to accept the offer of a great feast. And so the man opened his feast up to everyone but them. This would include the blind, the sick, the lame, and the poor. And then Jesus addresses the great crowds that accompany him wherever he goes. We constantly read about that. And he addresses them about the cost of being a disciple of Christ. And to be one, they must weigh the cost and renounce their old ways of living. And he compares them to salt, stating that salt without flavor is worthless. And then that's where we come to chapter 15. And we come to our study And Jesus, again, he's at a dinner, and he's addressing the rulers, the great crowds, and those who have been invited. And we're going to pick up there. So starting in verse 1, please. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now that we have the proper context of this event, this statement has a lot more weight to it than I had originally understood. Growing up, it's just the parable of the lost sheep, right? Oh, Jesus, Jesus tells them this story about if you're lost, God, God will find you. What a beautiful story. But it's so much more to that. It's an extra layer. It's an extra set of weight on a message that he's already been giving to these people. And what Luke is saying here is that the more Jesus teaches, the more the dirty people of the society draw near to Jesus. And the rulers notice that. And that's why they're grumbling. The dirty people of the society, so to speak, sinners, we'll call them, they they are hanging on Jesus' words. And they are understanding more than the religious leaders as they back away from him and what he teaches. And they even complain as he receives and accepts these sinners. Uh, It just reminds me, I don't know how many of you ate in the lunchroom, but, you know, the lunchroom table, oh, we're not going to eat at that table. They're losers. That's kind of what this was. I can't believe you're eating with those sinners. Ew, gross. Partake with them. They stink. I don't know what kids do in school anymore. But if they truly understood what Jesus was saying, this is the rulers, that they would draw near to Jesus as well. They would have hope like these sinners do. And seemingly, based off of this statement, Jesus asked them a question. And so they're grumbling and they're saying, oh, he eats with sinners. He accepts them. And Jesus says, what man of you, now we're going to pick up in uh, verse 4, please. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country 
and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So the question, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country alone and go after it until he finds it? So that's a good question. Now, herding sheep is common to the land of, of Israel and is tied to the Israeli, Israeli, sorry, Israeli, Israeli way of life. And shepherds would move their flocks from pasture to pasture so that they could eat uh, and not overgraze an area. And while they're there, they're living with them in the fields for the most part, taking shifts uh, with the rest of the family if, that's not, uh, if they have that option available. And they would protect them while they were in the field. And it's hard to protect something that you're leaving, right? But in that culture, sheep are not just a sign of wealth or a way of life. If you're a Jew or a Hebrew... Uh, you would need unblemished sheep for the sacrifice. And so when you lose a sheep in this culture, it's, it, it carries weight. It, it means something. I have to get that. And so Jesus asks a question that holds a lot of weight, just like he asked earlier, which one of you who has a son or an ox would, would, on the Sabbath would not get that out? He asked that same type of question here. Who wouldn't go and do that? And the importance is placed on the lost and fallen sheep. But I want us to also realize that all the sheep have a part, right? All sheep have a part. We'll break this down in two different ways. We have God's people. Jesus describes all 100 of the sheep as righteous people. Following all the rules, keeping their noses clean, living a righteous life. We have 100 righteous people people. And however, out of the 100, one falls away. I'm not super good at numbers. I can read a tape measure. One out of 100, I mean 99, that's, that's good. If you looked at my grades in school, I'd love for a 99, you know. But 99 is an unacceptable number at this point. It's not so good news to the shepherd who we can firmly say is God in this parable. And so if we put this in today's terms, let's just say real quickly, you and me now, God is leading a congregation of 100 righteous people. And one of those righteous people fall away. What does God do? Well, he leads the righteous to search for the unrighteous lost one. That's what Jesus just said to us. That presents an issue for me. Have you ever thought that God isn't here? Like we're here worshiping, right? In spirit and in truth. But what if we're here worshiping in spirit and truth, but God's himself, his physical being, whatever that would be and what it looks like, is not here while we worship him, but is out there going after the lost? I don't know. It's an interesting idea, though, to me. Now, while I've been preparing for this, uh, I looked up how long a herd of sheep should be left. Also, herd or flock, I'm not sure. I thought it was a flock, but then I remembered flock of seagulls, so I think it's a herd of sheep. I don't know. Anyways, uh, I'll probably be interchanging those. But as he's, as he's going, uh, a herd of sheep should be left alone for how long is what I asked. 
And the most common answer was, you don't leave them alone. They're not smart enough. They'll die. Don't leave them alone. Um, but the next common answer was, no more than eight hours. If you leave them somewhere where they have food and they have water, uh, you can leave them alone for about eight hours before you need to be back to check on them. You have to go back because there are dangers of predators. They'll eat the wrong things because uh, they eat everything, apparently. They'll, they'll drink the wrong things. They'll damage property. They'll follow other sheep off into, into danger and, and then getting more lost. I mean, they're okay for a time together. But a sheep will surely die if it's separated from its flock, one lone sheep. So why would a shepherd leave them unintended? I think it's because he knows the odds of the group surviving without him is greater than the odds of the one surviving without him, or even the group. The shepherd knows that where the group is is most likely going to be where everyone will survive. He knows that where the group is to be, most likely, if he arrives back, if he has to leave them. You have to know your flock. That happens in congregations too, right? I mean, how many congregations have we... I mean, I, I've only really been studying congregations for the last, you know, maybe six years. And we see them get away from God's word and they start following each other and society. And then before you know it, Man, they got the numbers. They don't have the gospel. They're lost. When left to our own devices, they stray. They get into situations they ought not be getting into. They follow each other instead of God's word, and this leaves, leaves them vulnerable to predators. And that's why it's vital for congregations to always and only gather based in God's word. I think it's not a coincidence that, coincidence that Paul in Acts 20, verse 8, remind, 28, I'm sorry, reminds the Ephesian elders and overseers to care for, or the literal word there, um, is to shepherd the church of God. That's why we have shepherds and overseers of the church that are supposed to be shepherding and searching for lost sheep. That's how we as a flock or a herd keep from being destroyed. We stay in God's word and we are led by those who have been chosen to shepherd the flock and overseers then go after those who are lost. But we also have to break this down in a more personal way because who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to a congregation of the new covenant? He's not. He's making a very personal connection with the Jews of the old covenant, a group who didn't believe and hadn't been taught that they were all of equal importance to God. So imagine the light bulb, if you will, if you're a tax collector or a prostitute or maybe a teacher who's just found out that maybe what you're, what you're teaching isn't, isn't the right thing or, or you've killed somebody, you've committed adultery, you've been bleeding for, for 8 or 12 years, you're, you're a leper, you, you, just, you don't have a place, you don't belong. And then someone who claims to be the son of God comes and says, God still desires you. Is it any wonder who Jesus was bringing to himself and why the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with him? They had it all. They already had the hope. But he wasn't there to bring them hope. I mean, he was technically, if they would have listened to it. Imagine being them and you don't hear that God just desires you, but he's going to reestablish you into your community. 
That's a big deal. John brought us a lesson about that at the woman uh, who was bleeding. And he broke that down for us real good. Real well, I guess. Again, it's no wonder the sinners and unbelieving are turning to a message of hope while religious leaders turn away from the same message. And I truly believe that's because the message of hope is one that can sing, uh, sting if you're consumed with yourself. God will leave the righteous to look for the sinners. Well, that's good. That's great. I love that. That's the God I want to serve. But have you ever considered that you might be the righteous one that he leaves, right? You who know God better than anyone. You follow his commands. You barely ever make mistakes. You who attend every service and you serve every time. You've just been told that, oh, you're going to be left so that we can look for somebody unclean, somebody unrighteous. Well, if I'm consumed with myself, that is a, that's a hateful message. That's a message that stings my pride. It's not a good message at all. He's going to leave me to find the tax collector, the thief, the prostitute, the drunkard, the liar? That's not a message of hope. And again, we know how the Pharisees and scribes responded. They grumbled, didn't they? The biggest issue for me here is, is not that God is leaving the righteous to search. I, I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. But it's those who claim to be the godliest are not concerned about the lost sheep. That is the biggest issue for me here in this parable. But again, that's what separates the heart of God and the heart of man. God will go after the lost. We like to write them off. That's, that's the difference. And so when God finds this righteous person who has fallen, who has fallen away, what, is, what does he do? Well, it tells us right here. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Um, let's see. Verse 5. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. God doesn't just say, oh, there you are, follow me home. He's like, oh, you've done this to yourself. You've got to get yourself out of it. Those are things that we say, you know, and, and applicable they, they, in certain situations. They're the right things to say. But instead, the picture that Jesus gives us is that God will come and physically pick you up out of your, wherever you were at, wherever he found you. And he will put you on his shoulders, and he will take you home. Well, home is where family's at, right? How many, I don't know about you and your, your home life, but uh, there were times I did not want to go home because I didn't want to have to face my family for the things that I did. If you guys ever, if you've never been in that situation, count yourself lucky. Um, sometimes you don't come back. Sometimes you don't go where you're needed because you're afraid of the repercussions. You're afraid of what they'll think about you. Jesus does not say that God does that. He puts you on his shoulders. He brings you back, and he reestablishes you in the home. He doesn't let the other sheep decide whether you get to be there. He puts you in there. And then what happens? Well, there's going to be rejoicing. 
excitement. What was lost has now been found, and it's not just God, it's those who dwell with him in heaven. There's a, there, there's a whole bunch of beings, people, I'm not sure how to say it, but in heaven, and they are rooting for you if you've fallen away. They are rooting for you to come back to God. And when you come back to God, they're going to be excited. Isn't, isn't that great to know that if you don't feel like you have any support in your life on this earth, you, have, you know you have support in heaven as long as you're following the will of God? I mean, come on. And they care that the person is found, and together God and the heavens rejoice over the sinner who repented. And again, not that the other 99 righteous are forgotten, but they didn't fall away. They didn't get lost. So we know that this rejoicing surrounds one repentant sinner. And so what? What does all this matter? Why did you bring up the question of the sheep tonight? Well, I did this lesson for Barnes last week, and so I wanted to make sure that I got to do it here as well. But the other reason is that I want to give us some practical ways that I think we can apply just this parable to us. And that will be, number one, when sinners draw near to the message and teachings of Christ and are added to the church. When you come to Christ through baptism, you're added to the church. I know we get, we get this idea that you're not a member of the church until you've placed your little card there and somebody announces it. But when you're baptized into Christ, you become a member of the church. And so we as the church, whether we call it a herd or flock, or community, or family. We need to humble ourselves in our placement at the table and not grumble. We need to look at those who are coming in, and instead of looking at them as sinners, look at them as saved people like you and me. We need to understand that God is adding to the righteous, and we need to be grateful that the herd is being added to, and that we even get to be a part of this herd. We are all equals in Christ, and we should treat each other as such. Number two, it is possible to fall away after you've become righteous. I know that's not news coming from this pulpit, but it might be news for somebody online. But yeah, it's not a once saved, always saved kind of deal. Jesus didn't state which one of the hundred got lost. He just said that one of them got lost, and so it can happen to you any one of us. It is possible for any of us to become lost to the righteousness we have received through Jesus Christ. And so if you're an overseer, you must shepherd. And I get that not everyone who falls away wants to be reconciled to Christ. If anybody gets that, this dude gets it. I get that. But lots of reasons people fall away, most reasons I've found, are because they're trapped in their own sin. And they don't feel that they are are worthy to be here anymore. They're tired of living this double life. And so they don't think that any of us will understand, or they'll be embarrassed, or that nobody here has ever been through something like that. Sometimes people have been hurt, right? People have been hurt. And so they just get away from the church. They have no, they have no desire to be here because an imperfect person hurt them. Well, surprise, we're imperfect, and we're going to do lots of things in the name of Jesus that are going to hurt feelings. 
unfortunately, that's just the nature of it. But we have to, uh, sorry, let me get back to my notes before I start getting off on that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. They've been hurt and they build an impenetrable wall to distance, to distance themselves from the Lord and his people. That's a dangerous place to be in. Other times the lost are right in front of us every Sunday and Wednesday and we don't know or even realize that they are lost because nobody's communicating. I'm not communicating with you. You're not communicating with me. You're lost and I can't help you out. We talked about that a little bit, I believe, this morning. It's not easy getting to that lost sheep. I understand that. But we must not give up. We must try. It has to be done. Number three, this is to the lost being sought after. God is faithful to those he has made a promise to. So if you have gone to God through Jesus, you have you've been established within his covenant. And you can bet your bottom dollar, whatever that means, that he is going to be faithful to every promise he makes in the, in the Bible to you. It's going to happen. When a person has come to God through Jesus and that person falls away, God is faithful to search them out. And just as, a sh- as sheep respond to a shepherd's voice, God will call you. It's not an if he wants me. It's he desires you and he will call you. The thing is, a lot of times we're waiting for this big, booming, thunderous voice. Oh, I've been searching for you, my son or daughter or whatever. And God doesn't really communicate that way anymore, right? So how is he going to reach out to you? Look around you. This, the people, that is how he calls to you. And so if you are a lost one being sought after, you need to respond to those who are coming to you. Because that could be the very person that God put in your life to find you, and you're waiting for something that's never going to come. Because it's already been there. There's an old, uh, I say it's a joke, it's more of a tragedy story, but I'm sure you guys know it, because I heard it from Marty, so I'm sure you've heard it. But, you know, there's, there's the guy, he's, in a, uh, he's down in Florida or something, big hurricane, they're on top of their, their house, and uh, he's sitting on top of the house, and a boat comes by, and they're like, get on, he's like, oh, I'm an, <laughs> uh, what, what does he say? He says, oh, I'm waiting on God, he'll deliver me. Then another guy comes, comes by with the boat. Oh, I'm waiting on God. He's going to deliver me. Then a guy in a helicopter comes by. Oh, I'm waiting on God. He's going to deliver me. The guy drowns and dies. Goes up to heaven, and God goes, uh, and he goes, God, why didn't you save me? He goes, I sent you two boats and, and a helicopter. Come on. You know, like, here's the thing. If you're waiting for some, some big thunderous voice or some big life-changing event to, to come and slap you and set you straight, more often than not, that's not going to happen, especially a thunderous voice. The calls come through those around you. They come through your, your direct connection or that phone call that you're, you, I just wish they wouldn't call me. I wish they'd leave me alone. I wish they'd mind their own business. Oh, that's God calling you. Uh, I was, perfect example, Mike, Mike Mazzalongo, he was God's call to me. All right? I've been sitting in his classes. I've been trying, to, been trying to serve as best as I can. He saw the fire, and he goes, I think you'd be good at this. And I go, you're crazy. I think, I think you're wrong. And I'm, I'm 
proving myself right all the time that I'm not so hot at this. But the idea, the idea being behind it is that I was sitting at home and I was waiting on God to knock on my door and say, hey, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your time. And what had already happened was he had sent a, a minister of over 30 years in, in ministry to come tell me that I had potential, that I had the stuff. Okay? That's a call from God. And we have to answer those calls. We have to talk to each other. We have to know what's going on to each other. And if you're lost and someone's, and you keep going, I wish they'd leave me alone, or I wish these church people would leave me alone, that's your call. Number four, and final, repentance is the key. You can answer that phone call all day, but until you repent, you're not part of the flock. If you've fallen away, You can't be part of the flock until you've repented. Jesus makes that abundantly clear in verse 7. Repentance is the path back to God and his people. So whatever it is that causes us to become lost, you have to be self-aware and repent of that. Whatever the issue is, you know, I'll be honest with you. I used to, I used, one of the reasons I didn't come here and and Harold would call me all the time, he used to be one that I'd say, why is this guy calling me? Uh, because I enjoyed, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed my Detroit football and watching them lose and, and drink beer. That was my Sunday, and it was a darn good Sunday, if you ask me. When I answered the call, something better came along. I just didn't realize it. I had to repent of my old lifestyle. And we won't go into all the things that I had to repent of. That'd be a long list. But I had to be self-aware of the things that were keeping me down, that still keep me down sometimes, the things that tempt me. And I have to do what I can to turn away from those. And I'm not trying to make this about me. It's just I've been, I, I've been so down that this is what I know. Some people can, can preach on biblical theology all day because they know it. I know redemption. That's what I know. You have to truly repent. That means if you have to tell somebody that you need help, then you got to do it. If you need an accountability partner, which sounds like you have a problem, well, my guess is if you're having to repent, you already have a problem. Get yourself an accountability partner, right? Um, what does Jesus say that we should do if something causes us to sin if we want to get into heaven? Cut it off? Gouge it out? Leave it behind? We have to do what it takes to express and live out true repentance. I can tell you that I've repented all day, but until my actions have changed, it's not true repentance. And so truly repent, and God will pick you up, and he will restore you to his home, his people, and then he will rejoice as we all will rejoice with those who dwell with him, that you have been restored. And that is the parable of the lost sheep. You can get a lot deeper into it. You can get theological about it. But it's really about the redemption story. It's about a God who will break social norms to come and get you. It's about a God who's not going to leave you there if that's what you truly want. It's about a God who's going to 
come to you and he's going to call to you and he's going to pick you up and he's going to bring you home. He's going to restore you. That's the parable of the lost sheep. Um, at this point, I was going to just give you a little, a little history about myself and how I've been redeemed, but you guys know better than anybody, the Choctaw Church of Christ. You guys have seen me growing uh, these last six years, seven years now. Goodness, that long. And you've helped me develop my ministry for the past four. And this is because you were shepherding to the community. Your overseers were shepherding to those who were here, to the lost. And I, I would like to ask you two questions as we finish. Are you lost? It's a real simple question, but it's one that I think a lot of us are afraid to answer. But are you lost? And if you are lost... My last question, are you listening for the call of your shepherd? I'm not necessarily just talking about our shepherds here. I'm not talking about the overseers. I'm talking about what I was stating earlier, God sending people to you to restore you back to him. If you have not gone to God through Jesus, you are lost. I don't like saying that. I like to try to be super happy kind, never offend anybody guy. But you're lost if you have not gone to God through Jesus. And there's not a flock that you belong to, and no one is searching for you. It's a very depressing, <laughs> that's a very depressing story. But it doesn't have to be your story. Through Jesus, the opportunity to be forgiven, to be one of God's beloved children, to become part of something great like the Choctaw Church of Christ is an opportunity that's available for you. And you can attain this promise of assurance from God through his son Jesus when you believe in him and confess your sins, turn away from them, and are baptized into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then continuing on in love, you live a holy life. That is the path into heaven. That is how you are restored. That is how you come to God. And so whatever your need is this evening, you don't have to you don't have to come down if you don't want to. We're going to offer it. But just know if you feel the need to come down and you're not responding, you're ignoring a call. You don't have to come down. You can catch somebody on the way out. But whatever the need is this evening, please come forward or catch us as we stand and sing.